Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Okay, we've talked about spiritual disciplines, the church, the Holy Spirit, following Jesus, being disciples, Mathetes, come and follow me, he said. We've talked about being covered in the dust of our rabbi, that we want to be dusty Christians. We've talked about all these things. But one thing that I believe gets left out of discussions like this time and time again is what I've titled today, my greatest weapon. My greatest weapon in faith. We've got the Holy Spirit. I've got the Bible. I've got the church family. I'm empowered with gifts. All these things. But in saying all of that, I do believe that there's something that's overlooked. And I want to talk to you today on the topic of my greatest weapon. And in Revelation 12, verse 11, it says, they triumphed over him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They triumphed, they won, they were victorious over the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And Father, speak to us, encourage us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, Nadia and I were pastoring a church campus in a small town of New Zealand. It would be like pastoring a a church in a small town in Ontario, maybe Barrie, maybe Guelph. And we're in a small town pastoring a church, a campus of a much larger church. And, you know, not unlike Carlton Place, maybe Renfrew. It was a place called Carpety, indigenous word. And I remember one particular day, um, a man came up to me in the church, and it's one of those churches where there's always interesting things happening and always different quirky people in the, in the place. And this one man came up to me, and he gave me an envelope containing $36. $36. And he said, hey, man, this is for you. It's for the church. And I was like, oh, man, look, I don't really want to handle money. I don't really want to be the guy that's handling people's donations. Would you mind just giving it straight to this information desk? This person will handle it. You know, make sure the bookkeeper's got it. There'll be a donation receipt. Keep it legit. He's like, of course, man. Of course, of course. He's like, it's crazy the story behind how I got this money, though. I was like, yeah, tell me about it. I said, I want to know the story. I just don't want to handle the money personally. He goes on to tell me about a woman at work. He's an IT guy. About a woman from work. We're friends from work. About a woman from work whose name is Susan. And he's like, dude, it's crazy. Susan's not a Christian. She doesn't, she's unchurched. She, you know, she's like never been to church, but... She made a um, a chocolate cake and she promoted it to the whole level, all of our staff, our whole floor. She's like, hey, everyone, I made a chocolate cake, you know, gold coin donation. It'd be like in Canada, it'd be like saying, hey, you know, um, a loony or a toonie for a slice of cake, gold coin donation. And so then he goes, bro, we sold the cold cake, $36, and she gave it to me to give to the church. I was like, wait, wait a minute, time out. There's a woman at your work who baked a cake and sold it, and the money she raised, she gave to you to give to the church. He's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I was like, well, that makes no sense. Why would she do that? She doesn't even come to the church. She doesn't even go to church. Bro, she doesn't even know Jesus. He's like, dude, it's crazy. I know. And I'm trying to figure out what happened. And all I can think of was a conversation I had with her the day before at the water cooler. So I'm at the water cooler, and Susan's there, and she's like, how was your weekend? And he's like, you know the question, every Monday, how's your weekend? Every Monday, how's your weekend? Every Monday, how's your weekend? And oftentimes people just say, ah, you know, same old, you know, got out there, it's great, whatever. 
in, in Canada, I might be like, yeah, we went for a skate. It was down on the canal, you know, went, you know, cross-country skiing. Yep, hit the slopes. He's like, I don't know. I just, I decided to tell her, like, what I did in the weekend. I was like, what would you say? He's like, well, I told her that we go to church, but I didn't really, like, make a big issue of the church thing. I more just was like, here's the cool things we do as a church. Because, you know, on Friday morning, we go to the primary school, the elementary school, we feed the kids, we give them, like, breakfast for those kids that don't have lunch at home. They don't have food, so they come to school hungry. And, you know, you know, church, we raise money and we go to, and we give them food. And I was like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I just... I told her about that. And she was like quite amazed that our church feeds kids in the community. I was like, yeah, tell me more. He goes, well, then I told her about the homework club that we run after school on a Friday for kids that need extra tuition. She was amazed at that. And I told her about, you know, some of the other ministries in the church and the things that I'm a part of and the things that we do. And, and she was really excited about that. And then she walked off and I didn't think much of it. And then the next day she came with this cake and she says, I'm going to sell this cake and the money that we raise is going to go to your church to provide money for these ministries. And so she, she baked this cake. Here's the crazy thing. She told me she's going to make cupcakes. And then after that, it's like scones and muffins. She's raising money for the church, which is exactly why I've got this money in this envelope. An unchurched woman, his manager, was raising money for the church. I, I, I grabbed him by the shoulder. I said, you need to understand. You have demystified evangelism. He's like, no, nah, I don't know about that. I said, no, you have. You've demystified evangelism. Friends, it was an enlightening conversation I had that day. As I talked to a guy who in his own mind wouldn't say that he was a gifted and bold communicator. He would say that he's not someone who's overly clear or direct, or even really can kind of guide a conversation to a point of conclusion. He's just like you and I is just a regular guy. But somehow he was able to talk to an unchurched woman about what the church was doing in the community to get excitement and joy elevated in her life that she would then go home and bake a cake. You know how hard it is to bake a cake? And sell it at work and raise money for the church. He demystified evangelism. Revelation 12, 11 says this, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We read two weeks ago, Nadi preached last week on the Holy Spirit, but the week before that, I talked about the fact that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. Because the last thing that the apostle Paul wrote in that scripture was that he wanted people to turn up to church and boast about how, like I'm, you know, I got saved because I'm a Jew. Or I got saved because I'm a Gentile, I'm a Greek. And he specifically wanted to neglect the Jews to come and find me. Well, I got saved because I'm an Ethiopian and I'm a part of the, the African nation and God came through. Well, I'm an Egyptian and I've, even though I've had this, he's forgiven me. So that no one could boast. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus. I triumphed, him, I triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the lamb. I think when we read that, like they overcame the devil because of Jesus. Everyone's like, yeah, no, that's kind of why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense, yep. And note this, by the word of their testimony, they overcame the enemy with two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The word and there is a conjunction. It, it joins or creates a hinge between two things. 
They overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, which is defined as this, evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something or a formal written or spoken statement. Let me reduce that down a little bit more. That a testimony is evidence or proof provided by a written or spoken statement. Our testimony is the testimony of the blood of Jesus. In other words, they overcame the enemy with two things, the blood of Jesus and our story about the blood of Jesus. Really, the sermon is called My Greatest Weapon. It should be called My Greatest Weapons because we're talking about two things. But really, let me rephrase that even one more time. They overcame the enemy by two things, the blood of Jesus and us talking about the blood of Jesus. More specifically, us talking about the intersection of our lives and the blood. So really, we're just talking about one thing, which is the blood of Jesus. But they overcame him by the blood and by the testimony of the blood. Not the testimony of what you've done. And Nadia mentioned this last, last week, but one of the dangers of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, words of knowledge, uh, prophetic words, words of encouragement, um, activated in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. One of the dangers is people can start to take um, credit for what God is doing. God's doing it. He's just using you. There's a great story about this, this scalpel, this, this doctor who performed this amazing surgery and had his scalpel cleaned up and put out there on the table and the, the, the press kicked in the door and started to interview the scalpel. Oh my gosh, that was an amazing, um, you know, breathtaking you know, a, a surgery just ahead of the curve, just incredible, curing cancer, just amazing. Tell us how you did it. They're trying to interview a scalpel. It's an inanimate object. It can't talk. Then they go, oh, sorry, doctor, what are your thoughts? We're the scalpel. The chief surgeon is Jesus. He's the purpose. We're just in his hands, a tool. Don't take credit for being a tool lest you be a tool. Give him credit for what he does through us. We're a conduit. They overcame the enemy by two things, the blood of Jesus and us talking about the blood of Jesus. So really the goal is the blood of Jesus. Our story is what he's done for us. What were we like before he, we encountered him? Where, where we could be compared to where we are. The New Testament is full of testimonies talking about the blood of Jesus, the transformative impact of Jesus Christ. There are stories about running and jumping and praising, thankfulness and healings, changed lives, deaf ears open, blind ears seeing, the mute speaking, demonic possession being loosed, signs, wonders, healings, miracles, testimonies, stories, experiences, not about the power of the scalpel and the human being to do great things, but of the power of Jesus and his transformative impact in our lives. They overcame the enemy by two things, the blood of the enemy and us talking, oh, the blood of the enemy, not the blood of the enemy. That's, the, that's not what we want. The blood of Jesus and us talking about the blood of Jesus. The Azusa Street Revival is one of the most significant Pentecostal revival movements in the history of mankind. Willie Seymour, who's the, 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 the main preacher, the main leader of the movement, the man that was a, the, the breakthrough Pentecostal revival, revivalist, um, would, would preach and gather people and it, was just, it would just explode. 
Meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, healing after healing after healing, soul saved, global impact, just was a, a movement that no one could stop. People would travel to Azusa Street or, or to the surrounding neighborhood through public transport and they would get off the bus and they would get off the train and they would find a local policeman or a local traffic cop and say, excuse me, I'm trying to find the Azusa Street Revival. And the policemen and the traffic cops, the coordinators would be so skilled and would have this conversation so often that they would just say, yeah, go that way and you'll feel it. That there were times in the Azusa Street Revival where the firemen would kick in the door because there was calls made on 911 that people thought the building was on fire from the outside. And the firemen would come and say, we've been called out because there was a fire, we could see flames. And they walked in the building and they said, well, nothing's on fire. And they would scope it out. Many believed those men were saved. Like it was just an incredible move of God. Friends, do you know how the revival stopped? Do you know how it finished? Do you know how it wrapped up? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you why. It stopped, it finished, it wrapped up. It came to a halt because of this. Someone stole the mailing list. Willie Seymour wasn't assassinated. Church leadership wasn't ruptured. There wasn't something in the church where there was gossip or disunity. No, 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 no. The one reason why the revival stopped was simple. Someone stole the mailing list. In this time, there was no social media, text messaging. You weren't exactly going to the event, recording it, and then showing your friends about it. You were going to the event. You were writing letters, which was your testimony of the blood and his transformative impact in your life and, and, and people were being told about it all over the world and you would record your address and your name and the names of the donors or friends who are part of the movement and there would be a mailing list and there would be a newsletter. Remember those? A newsletter that was sent out to all those people on a regular basis telling them about the stories. The stories stoked the flame of the revival. The stories are not the revival. The blood of Jesus is the revival, but the stories partnered with the blood, talking about the blood, stoked the flame of the revival until someone stole the mailing list. And when someone stole the mailing list, the story stopped. The testimonies halted. The revival came to a close. And nothing moved forward from a moment because stories were stopped being told. We have to continue to tell our testimony and our story, not because of us, but because of the impact of the blood of Jesus on our lives. According to the book of Revelation, it is a key component to defeating the enemy. The blood of Jesus has already done the work, but we have to stoke the flame of revival by continuing to bring it back to him and boldly, valiantly talking about the blood and its impact in our lives. Friends, we are only ever one generation away from extinction. We either grow by sharing or we are silent and we stagnate and eventually we will disappear. For the introvert that's filled with social anxiety, I get it. But what about the power of the written word? What about the power of creative expression? Film, video, the raising of a family. These are testimonies that are powerful. Albert Einstein was an introvert. They say Mother Teresa 
was an introvert. Some people that have impacted the world so greatly in their lives have not been bold, extroverted, and gregarious people. Use your gifting, your personality, your skill set wisely, but continue to talk about the great things Jesus has done in your life. Yongi Cho, pastor of the greatest church, the, the largest church in history, a million-member church, 50,000 small group leaders, said his greatest gift, the gift that he prayed for more than anything in his life, was the gift of boldness. God, make me bold, make me bold, make me pray bold prayers, say bold things, have bold behaviors. We talk about the street preacher, don't we? There aren't too many of them these days, certainly not in Canada. We talk about the street preacher, the soapbox communicator standing up high on his crate. Turn or burn is his message. How fire and brimstone is the way that he communicates. He gets flack, does this man. And maybe he deserves it. But at least, my friends, he's bold. Maybe his passion is misplaced, but no one will ever call him passive. But on the other side of that coin, we have the famous quote by St. Francis of Assisi, who says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Aren't both sides of that coin, both ends of that scale, so incredibly important to us? Isn't there a moment to boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus and the dangers of not following him? Didn't Jesus stand like that soapbox preacher and say, you wicked generation, and talk about the dangers of not repenting? Didn't John the Baptist speak so clearly to his apostles about the fact that we must repent for the kingdom of God is near? But then at the same time, let's be people that, whose actions speak louder than our words, whose life is a testimony to the love of Jesus. The sermon today is called My Greatest Weapon. It should be called My Greatest Weapons because we're talking about two things. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and my interaction with that sacrifice. Essentially, though, we're talking about one thing, and that is this. How do I share about the wondrous impact in my life of what Jesus has done? My friend over the water cooler demystified evangelism because he did it in such a way where he barely mentioned Jesus. The church wasn't the centerpiece of his discussion, but the good things that the church was doing. I think of all the tools that we have, and I think about the fact that this one might be the greatest. We've got the Word, the Holy Spirit, the church. But isn't our story something that if it isn't the greatest, then maybe it's the greatest loss, something that we've forgotten and misplaced, the testimony of the believer. I believe that your testimony of Christ's redemptive work in your life is more useful than your personality type. I believe it's more useful than your gift mix. I believe those things are synonymous with you sharing, but I believe the most useful thing that you have is the testimony of what God has done in your life, the blood of Jesus and the testimony of that blood. A friend of ours, Matt Clark, dearly loved members of our church, the Clark family, Matt and Celia and their kids, another one on the way. At work, Matt's, he's a real estate agent, at work, his... Um, Colleagues call him the bishop. I love that. That's a cool nickname, the bishop. They call him up, what's up, bishop? Hey, bishop. Uh, we talk about it all the time. He says, Levi, they always call me when they're in trouble. Yeah, um, in Canada, I'm not sure what this department's called, but in New Zealand, it's called births, deaths, and marriages. It's a whole department that deals with those things. Births, deaths, and marriages. These are three moments when we're at touch 
um, more keenly with our mortality than any other in life. When someone's born, we start to think about, wow, life is real and this was crazy and the whole family's coming together. This is amazing. Death, obviously we're in touch with our mortality because there's death around us. And marriage, like, oh, I'm about to commit my life and change my name and things are going to be different for me now. Births, deaths, and marriages. Matt's saying, bro, these are the times when I get called. When someone's sick, they got a bad diagnosis, a bad report from the doctor. When there's new life and they want me to come and like anoint or christen, baptize the child. One of my nicknames in high school, which rekindled itself a few years ago here in Canada, was the Rev. Nadia, her family and my family call us the family priests. The reason why a work colleague of Matt's, even though he's a real estate agent and not a qualified marriage celebrant, has historically been a pastor but isn't one right now, is because he exhibits bishop-like qualities. He exhibits a life that points people to Christ. And so when they think about the eternal things of the supernatural, they think about the bishop. Why? I think it might be because he's someone who's reasonably good at sharing the good things that God is doing in his life. I was asked a difficult question once. The question was this. Do you have a fresh faith story? Do you have a fresh faith story? Do you have a fresh faith story? That, my friends, if we allow it to be, will be a difficult question to answer. Because it got me thinking at the time. I wasn't sure that I had one. I wasn't sure that I had, 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 had something happen to me that I could point to no other person than to Jesus to say, you did this, you've come through. Because if I haven't got a fresh faith story if I, or if I'm unclear as to whether it was just providence or just good luck or if it was God moving in my life, leads me to ask another question. Do I have an active prayer list? Because if I've got an active prayer list of supernatural things that I want God to do in my life and then they happen, well, then clearly it was God that made it happen. Having a fresh faith story relates back to the birth of that faith story, which is in prayer. Do I have an active prayer list and conversation with God, asking and petitioning heaven that when they happen, it's a fresh faith and adds to the testimony of what Jesus is doing in my life, not just of salvation, but of sanctification. Firstly, I guess I want to um, uh, probably, you know, define the word. What is a testimony? What is your story? I, I, if it's okay with you, I want to give us a little bit of an exercise today, if that's okay with you. If you've got a pen and paper, I want you to grab it out. Got a phone, I want you to grab it out because I want to just kind of give you some parameters or tools to help you with your story, to build your testimony. Any good story, like meals in the day, is split into three, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Or when it comes to our testimony or our story before Jesus, an encounter with Jesus, and then life after Jesus. Right now, the present, the present moment. The apostle Paul on the Damascus road was Saul, had an encounter with God. Why do you persecute me, Jesus said, and then became Paul. The Ethiopian was baptized in a puddle on the side of the road. He had life before. He had an encounter with one of the apostles and he had his life afterwards. Mary Magdalene had 16 demons cast out on the spot by Jesus. A life riddled with demon possession, an encounter with God and a life that she would follow him for the rest of her days. Andrew had an encounter. Ran and got his brother, Simon Peter. In the church, there's been some funny moments where you hear poorly weighted testimonies. I think a good testimony is a good, it's well weighted across all three stages. 
Here was my life before Christ. For instance, I was 12 years old when I met Jesus. That's the middle. Before I met Christ, I was 12. I was a boy. I was doing regular human being things with my life. But I had some questions about eternity. I began to feel anxious about what would happen to me when my life was over. Where would I go? Some existential moments as I was asking those questions. And as I went to a youth group event where the gospel was presented clearly, I realized that this was the answer that I'd been looking for. And I've been following Jesus ever since. I met my wife in church. We've had four children in church. We've baptized, christened, baptized, dedicated them to the Lord. I've met my best friends in church. The church has changed my life through a moment with Jesus. And this is what my life was like beforehand. When you have poorly weighted testimonies, though, they make me laugh. The amount of times I've been in church Sunday night after youth camp, you know, you get those awkward detailed testimonies where someone's like, this was my life before Christ, and they spend the whole time talking about that. So they're like, oh, yeah, man, sex, drugs, rock and roll is crazy. We used to drink so much. And they begin to talk about it to the point where it's like you feel like they miss it. You know, it's like they're glorifying the, you know, the, the glory days. Like, oh, we did this and that. It was crazy, man. You get around with the friends, we do this. And, oh, my gosh, it's like the best time. And you're sitting there in church in the pew going, okay, okay, yeah, no, good, 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 yeah, okay. Sure, okay, yep, yeah, right, yeah, next. Yeah, okay, thanks, amen. And then they go, yeah, then met Jesus and like, it's been great since, you know, it's been great um, since then, it's been great. And you're like, yo, no, 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 no. Don't glorify the past. Glorify the encounter. Give us context by saying, this is what happened. Then I met Jesus. This is where my life is. But there's ones that are waited too far on the other side. But it equally happens on the, the other way, on the other side of that coin, where someone waits too heavily the Christianese. So they're like, yeah, you know, it makes it sound like they've been a Christian since birth, you know. Yeah, so then, you know, I met Jesus and, oh, praise the Lord. Um, you know, God's blessed me. You know, but by the grace of God, you know, I just am so grateful for his presence and I'm sanctified and I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm moving forward in a transformative way. And, you know, glory be to God, you know, amen, right? You know, am I right? And then you're like going, yeah, okay, cool, that's cool. But like you've waited so heavily on the Christianese side that you, you lost me because you've got no context. What was it like? What difference has he made? Paint a picture for me. Tell me about that moment. We need context. Otherwise you lose me. And you certainly lose the person that you're talking to. This testimony won't sell Jesus. <laughs> this testimony sells their current life and glorifies it. This testimony won't sell Jesus either because the person you're talking to has no idea what you're talking about. If you're going to over-index on any part of your story, over-index on what happened when you met Christ, what changes have happened in your life? What do you remember? Can you highlight the difference before and after? One of the greatest keys to joy in our life is to find the thing that Jesus has been doing in your life and celebrate it. Find what Jesus has been doing and celebrate it and add that to your story. John Tyson, a pastor from New York, a great author and friend of ours, he says this, he says, he prays a prayer, he says, God, what have you, before he walks into a room, he says, God, what have you been doing in the lives of of these people already today? What have you already been doing? In other words, what's their faith story currently? What's their testimony right now? And how can I be a part of exemplifying that and edifying what you've already been doing? You are right, my friend, right in the middle of the right place in your life. 
you're in the right workplace, the right family, the right living situation. God is using you powerfully. But can I encourage you right now, as I've been talking, I should have asked you to do this five minutes ago because I could have been talking and you could have been writing. But could you write down your testimony? Could you do that for me? Could we do that together here online and in person? Could we write down the context and history, the culture, your family of origin, what happened before you met Christ? And then talk about where you were. When was it? Show people that it's not weird, that being in church or an event or hearing the, a clear presentation of the gospel message wasn't strange. It might have been for you. Talk about that. A friend of mine, really close friend of mine, was drunk when he got saved. So anytime there's someone in church who maybe is inebriated, he's empathetic towards their cause because that was his state when he was saved. Many people in our church come from Christian families, so empathetic towards pastor's kids or people who are already Christians raised but maybe aren't walking with God. I'm from a family who's unchurched, so I'm empathetic towards those who are lost and far away from God and have no Christian friends at all. What happened after? We've got before, we've got the Jesus moment, but what happened? Did you get, feel more peaceful? Did you have joy, generosity, purpose, confidence, boldness? For me, it made me a better person. What's changed in your life? What are those things that you love right now about walking with Jesus? My friend who made $36 for the church from Susan selling chocolate cake at work, he found his, his testimony was serving other people in elementary schools, in homework clubs, prison ministry. His was outreach. His was mission. His was being involved in the lives of others. Here's a, a key thing that I want to land for us today, and that is simply this. The shed blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb in Revelation 12, 11, has been shed, but the word of their testimony is being shed. The blood has been shed, but the testimony is being shed. In other words, one is past tense, the other is present tense. One has happened, and the other, my friends, is happening. Let me pray for us today for boldness. Let me pray for us for wisdom. Let me encourage you today. Here are some thoughts that I think as we wrap up in these next few moments might help you with your testimony. The first thing I say is this, is that God loves it. He loves it. Whenever you share your journey, God's all about it. Like he leans in. Angels are pumped. They empower anyone, I believe, lifting up Jesus. That Jesus is the centerpiece of heaven. He's the Prince of Peace. That he's the one who, when you give him kudos, all of the supernatural comes alive. Like heaven celebrates when Jesus is prioritized. A friend of mine once said, Levi, if you're ever preaching and you're in trouble, just talk about Jesus that the Father sent him, that Jesus honored the Father, that the Spirit edifies the teaching of Christ, that if you ever want his presence, talk about Jesus. You know, at the end of every year or the start of the new year, Spotify, for those Spotify listeners, um, unless you're a Neil Young fan, just kidding, those Spotify listeners, um, you get the uh, top, top songs of the year, you know, most listened to songs, right? A few years ago, you know, mine was like, I don't know, Passion Fruit by Drake, no, I don't know. A year before that, it's like um, the Narrow Road, Hillsong Worship, whatever. A bit for, you know, use Maverick City or something like that. Easier Christian, you know. The most played songs is great. But I was thinking today, what's my most prayed prayer? And, and, and I, here are my three most prayed prayers every day. My most prayed prayers annually are this. 
Simple. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. I lift you up, Jesus. Those become filler prayers for me when I don't know what to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lift you up, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. That as you begin, sometimes I don't know what to pray. I don't know what I'm, where I'm going, what I'm, what, what's happening. Thank you, Jesus. And just lift him up. As I'm lifted up, speaking of the cross, Jesus said, I will draw all men to myself. As I lift up Jesus, he's going to draw men. He's going to draw the concerns of others. He's going he's to be there for people as I lift him up. So number one, God loves it when you testify about the blood of Jesus. Number two, the devil hates it. Oh, hates it. We have an enemy. It's the devil, and he is um, keen to steal from you, kill you, destroy your life. This is not good news. He does not want Jesus lifted up at all. John 12, 32 says, as I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. As you talk about Jesus, it enhances our ability to overcome the enemy because we draw people through faith and through the edification of Jesus to himself and the enemy hates it because he loses when we lift up Jesus. There's authority in the name of Jesus. There's power in his name. When we do something in Jesus' name, it's like a presidential seal. You know, those old movies, they, they, they dip the wax and they put their signet ring and it's like a seal. And then, you know, it is a, a seal. And then when you like open the envelope, you crack the seal and it's like, you know that it's from the highest authority, the king, the priest, the noble, whatever. It's a warrant from the king. It's a presidential seal. A friend of mine got a letter. I can't remember who the American president was at the time, but got a letter from the president when his um, son was born. Hey, you know, congratulations on the birth of your son from the president. Signed, presidential seal. Amazing. And power. The highest authority. Yongi Cho, you know, believed and prayed that he was under the highest authority and one time specifically walked into uh, the bank and, and, and said to the receptionist, I come on behalf of the highest authority. I need to speak with the manager. And she rushed him in to meet with the bank manager and they had a meeting and he had a mortgage approved for the land. They built this church largest church in the world. But the reason why he said he comes from the highest authority was because he does believe he comes from the highest authority. That's Jesus. But the reason why they gave him the meeting was not because of Jesus. It's because they thought that he was on behalf of the prime minister, which in that nation is the phrase the highest authority is used when referring to him. But he comes bold in the name of the highest authority. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, God gave Jesus the name above every name. Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Luke 10, 19 says, for I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. You will overcome all of the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. God loves it when you talk about Jesus and share your story. The devil hates it. And then lastly, write this down. It's your greatest weapon. Keep your story sharp and you keep your story sharp by keeping it active. Keep your story sharp. Someone should be able to ask you about Christ, about your faith, and you should be able to answer keenly, directly, humbly. Keep it sharp. Keep it active. There's a story of a woodcutter. Very strong man, got a job at a local lumber mill. And he was determined to do his best. He bought his best axe and he's strong and ready. The boss gave him an axe. Um, and so he said, you know, here's the area that I want you to cut down and the axe was sharp and the axe was high quality, better than his own. So he took this quality axe and went to this new area and began to work chopping down trees. The first day, the woodcutter bought in 18 trees. 
Boss was stoked. Well done. Keep going that way. This is brilliant. So motivated, he went back up the next day. And, but he only bought in 15 trees. And, you know, he's, he was tired. And, you know, the boss was happy. Not as happy as the first day, but it's fine. Then the next day, he tried even harder, but he was tired. He could only bring in 10 trees. 18, 15, 10. He's not going in the right direction. Day after day, he kept bringing in less and less trees. I must be losing my strength, he said. The woodcutter went to the boss and apologized, and he said, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just can't understand why I'm bringing in less trees every day. The boss said, when was the last time you sharpened your axe? And the woodcutter said, sharpen my axe? I have no time to sharpen my axe. I have been too busy trying to cut down trees. When was the last time you sharpened your axe? When was the last time you sharpened the edge of your story so that you could not cut down trees, but you could fish for people, that you could defeat the enemy, that you could bring people into relationship with God, not because of the quality of the preaching on a Sunday, but because of the testimony of the saints testifying about the blood of Jesus? When was the last time you sharpened it? Keep it active. Our testimony, fresh faith stories, infusing Jesus into everyday language, demystifying evangelism is something that we must continue to sharpen. The Azusa Street Revival was so powerful that when people got off public transport, they said, I'm trying to find the Azusa Street Revival. And the policeman said, go that way and you'll feel it. <clears throat> the day that happens at our church, I'll buy everyone dinner. The day that someone gets off OC Transport on Bank Street and says, I'm looking for Southminster Hoods Church, local church, three o'clock. I'm trying to find online what's up. And someone's like, yo, just follow the YouTube channel. You'll feel it. Follow, walk down bank, you'll feel it. That in different cities in the world that have local church expressions and campuses, you go that way, you'll feel it. That's a powerful move of God. And it stopped because people stopped sharing. Being silent stopped the revival. Let's not be silent. Let's not be stagnant. Let's be active in our faith. This week, share your testimony. This week, homework alert, ding, 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 ding. This week, find someone to share your story with. This week, have a conversation with someone about church, about your faith, about the, this religion that you're a part of. You don't have to prophesy to the book of Deuteronomy or read them Leviticus. You could just share the great things and the benefits that you find from walking with Jesus. Try it this week. Let's see how you go. Maybe you're here today because someone did do that and you're here as a result. Someone's like, man, you got to check out online and I'm part of this church. It's sick. And you came along and you're here and we're so stoked to have you. And, and you want to sharpen your axe, but first we've got to give you one. Your axe is your walk with God, right? It's your relationship with Jesus. And you might be away from God, far from Him, distant, not in right relationship. Then I would love to today encourage you to pray a prayer with me. Repent of your wrongdoing. Say, oh, I've been, I've been, I'm, God, I'm on my own path, but I want to be on your path, following the rabbi of Nazareth. And so I'd love to pray with you. So could, you, could we pray this prayer together? I'll say one line, you repeat it back to me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Love you so much. I'll hand back to our service MCs. I'll see you next week. We are so glad you joined us for the local church podcast. 
To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.